Hello Insurance Innovator. In this episode, I will share with you a recording from a panel discussion on the topic of how to leverage digital innovation in the insurance business. I'm the co-founder of Minds Medical, a Frankfurt-based AI startup, and basically what we do is uh, structure unstructured medical text for process automation in hospitals and insurance companies. This is uh, what we do. Um, I'm doing business development and sales there, and my statement for the day is everything that can be automated will be automated in the near future. Insurance companies who don't adapt go the way of Kodak because they will not be able to compete with the cost structure of other more innovative insurance companies, um, or keep their then unsatisfied customers. Thank you. Let's see if this moves from you to just press it one second. Yes. So, hello. Uh, I'm Uli Kleber. Uh, originally, I was also with uh, the old insurance uh, world. I spent over 12 years with a uh, large Italian insurer. I've worked for them in uh, Germany, Italy. Belgium and the United States. Um, now I'm with uh, Accenture Management Consulting in their uh, insurance practice, and I'm also news correspondent for uh, the global news uh, platform, the Digital Insure. Uh, so in my opinion, uh, in the future, ecosystems and platforms will take center stage in uh, tomorrow's consumer worlds. And it's gonna be very important that um, insurers are able to catch up with the intertext and move from being observers to participants and finally orchestrators of these new platforms and ecosystems. Okay, great, thank you. Do you want to add another statement as well? Where, where do you think the world is heading there? I, I would like to add to Uli's Kleber's statement. I think it would, it's now clear that insurance companies have to cooperate with insurance startups and other startups, of course, to improve their innovation, improve their activities, value chain, and create value, and stay current, stay in business. Great, thank you. Uh, question to start with. Um, I have a, um, I have checked or we have checked several surveys from 2017, where CEOs of insurance companies have been asked where they are and how they look at uh, innovation, and um, they said um, most. This is the, the, the sector where the, the, the industry is most concerned and afraid of innovation that they were not willing to innovate in 2017. Now, two years later, um, from your experience, have they been forced to change, or what has happened in the meantime? Are they more innovative, or are they still waiting to be kicked? So, um, there has been change, that's correct, uh, because I'm more than two years in this innovation doing this stuff. So at the beginning, two or three years ago, I had the feeling I was alone as an insurance innovator. I was the only one. And then in the last two or three years, there came a lot of other guys and, and cool innovators that are trying to improve the insurance industry. So now, in addition, we have this insurtech startup uh, boom, where a lot of investors and startups realized, hey, insurance is a perfect digital product. It's completely automatable completely digitalizable, and they have sensed that. They got a lot of money from investors, and now we have this, this wave of insurance startups that are coming after insurance companies, yes, and bringing us uh, new ideas and innovation technology. So it has changed, yes. 
um, but from inside of an insurance company, uh, they still want to do business as usual. So you, you still need more innovation, in, 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 insurance innovators, and, but they get, uh, they, they hear us already. And Balois, for example, the company I work for, is one of the leading insurers who is investing heavily in innovation and is making serious, giving serious thought about how can we improve our existing business and how can we get our employees and technical systems up to date. Okay. But it's a very hard job. Other opinions or other views on that, or do, do you agree? I agree that on one thing perception has changed. Um, if you also look at what, uh, for example, look at conferences, I remember uh, Exec Intratech in the beginning uh, shared uh, the stage with the fintech part. Fintech was huge, had a center stage, and uh, Intratech was just crammed into a small space with a lot of people with a lot of energy and interest. Um, and now it's a full-blown um, uh, conference where you have a lot of people coming in. Um, so you see all uh, insurers are uh, have realized that they need to do something, and it's no longer about belittling uh, the Intratech uh, guys. Um, uh, and, uh, thinking that um, these are not relevant for us because they will not uh, change the system. Um, now the question is really about uh, how do you make uh, that change and how do you bring that uh, about. And I think one of the big issues here is um, how to scale um, uh, innovation that is coming in. Because um, as you said, uh, uh, there's a lot of innovation activity, but the question is what's the impact on the top line and the bottom line? And so far, uh, the largest part of the business is not yet um, yeah, just a little bit. Um, I think we agree everybody has realized that innovation is needed and if you don't innovate, you're gone. Um, but I think for many insurance companies, they um, have a misconception about innovation. They think innovation is digitization. And just going from paper-based processes to digital processes is not innovation. It's just a shitty process that's now digital and way too fast for humans to comprehend. Um, so you need to rethink from product to customer experience to all the processes internally, where do I want to be in the next five or ten years? And not many of them have yet realized that. So I think there's a gap there. Can you distinguish between the different types of insurances? I'm coming from the health insurance, life insurance Were they quicker? World. Who was quicker? Who was, who was slower? I don't know. Um, let me tell you a little secret, because I've been working for over six years in the life insurance uh, department. And then we got so much regulation on it, and I like to do cool stuff, and I can't do any innovation. From my personal point of view, I can't innovate life insurance anymore because it's heavily regulated. I can't do, for me, I'm frustrated. Then I had the opportunity to change over to the non-life, to the uh, business. I said, hey, that's a cool place there. That's easy regulation. They have no, there's more easy products. And uh, so I switched over to, to the non-life part of the business, and uh, it was the right choice, because uh, the right decision, because uh, there the insurtech startup wave took off in the non-life uh, business line. So the non-life business line is the most innovative right now. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a question of um, whether you talk about short or long tail. Uh, so life insurance is typically um, has very long um, uh, contracts. Um, running the same for, um, for health insurance, <laughs> and so that's why non-life is, is, is okay. easier and quicker to be Yeah, okay. Um, 
when we look at the non-life insurances, what, what if you've seen your, the, the, the business case that you've shown in, on your slides, um, can you just quickly um, um, show what were what are typical use cases where InsureTech really comes in also for this low-moving tankers? Um, so, so where, where, where would you see quick wins for, for, the, for the old ones? For, for different kinds of business lines? or uh, j Just where it suits, where, where, where you see it's really worked out. It, it, really, it really changed the thing. So I just give one example I, I showed here. The, the, the claims ratio is very high, over 50%. And if you have an insurtech startup, can reduce the claim payments, that is direct profit for the company. So this is directly based, based on the bottom line effective. So this would be a very good low-hanging fruit. Right. So that's why I chose this. Yeah, exactly. For example. Mm -hmm. Then also in the administration costs, one other example is uh, there is in Hamburg a Snagd. They have a safety ident software running. So I, I take I take a selfie from myself and hold the, uh, the passport besides me. And then it takes a few seconds, and then they identify, yes, this is Karim's pasta, he's, he's alive, and he is it. So this is also for identification. What are we doing right now? We send paper back and forth, you go to the post office. Post identity. It's a hassle. So this is also very quick and saves a lot of uh, administration costs. Any striking examples that you could share? I think, for example, wherever you have the possibility, when you look through the value chain, wherever you have the possibility to do a plug-and-play um, uh, adding of a new feature. So, um, for example, um, IMBurst comes to my mind, a startup that actually offers different payment options. Because if you look at, for example, um, adding PayPal uh, as a payment option, uh, and you ask an internal IT system provider for that, um, they typically quote you. Uh, half a year to, to install that. Um, while the startup comes in and says, oh, we have the solution, these are the APIs, uh, you can even choose what kind of payment services you want to add to that. Um, I think the second point to that, one is enabling and the other one is new, um, uh, new products, uh, wherever you have on-demand uh, insurance that is not uh, being provided yet. Um, use and go for a startup, don't reinvent the wheel. And this is something that the, 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 the tankers accept and cooperate with? Or is it something that is a parallel? Let's challenge us. Yeah, the, I haven't seen that many tankers uh, that actually do that, but one good example, I think, is Deutsche Familienversicherung from Frankfurt, where they innovate uh, products in the 4x4 matrix. That's maybe a thing. Very easy to understand, one-click buy, uh, on-demand, basically, insurance. Um, so that is very innovative, I think, in a, in a way. And But the big tankers probably haven't seen that yet. They, they ignore it. Yeah, they ignore it. It's like because it's, it's not relevant. Still small. So yeah. wait three to four years. Okay. <laughs> These guys at Deutsche Familienversicherung are really serious. Okay. So we have one question in the so, audience. Um, I agree with you, Lucas, that um, most tankers, old insurance companies, understand uh, process optimization and they're talking about digitization, yeah, which forgets all the other topics, business model and client. Yeah? So, um, so I agree. But I disagree that. Um, Everyone is, is doing innovation heavily currently because I, I, my feeling is that um, big insurers are shrinking the innovation activities currently. Arrow, for example, has closed its Berlin um, uh, lab and moved to Eastern Europe. Um, Alliance Digital Factories shrinking rapidly. Yeah, so um, they, I think, the phase of experimentation is now ending a little bit. They have experimented a little bit and now see okay, um, we have. 
earn a lot of money and we have to focus more. And this is my experience. Do you, do you agree or do you have different view? But do you think they are frustrated? No, not frustrated, but maybe a little bit more focused. Business and case. more efficiency. Where's the money at the end? Yeah, yes, maybe. Okay. Well, more and more insurance companies I visit have innovation managers, at least. Um, then the question is, do they have a mandate to actually bring people together? Uh, and I see that, yeah, and more and more do have that mandate. So they are a little bit more focused in the process of choosing innovative ideas, choosing innovative processes, I don't know. But uh, in general, reluctance is high, especially that when the hype of AI came and everybody was like, we're doing everything with AI. And obviously, some burned their fingers heavily. <laughs> uh, but now, a little more realism settles in. So I agree there. Okay. Then maybe I want to turn the, the focus on a different aspect, the aspect of risk. And we look at risk from both sides for the larger organizations trying to cooperate with um, insure tech companies handing over expertise, the relying on the services they provide, and on maybe a startup going away in two years or being bought or acquired by somebody else, and the service no longer being available on the one hand, so it's a risk for the larger ones, and the risk for the insurtech company tech being responsible and liable for what they do for an insurance company, and, and how, how do you deal with that type of, these two type of risks uh, when it comes to, to making sure that people are able to, to um, cooperate on a basis that it's valid for them to do. So you mentioned lawyers and, and the legal team and, and, and how to make them cooperate, but how do you mitigate the risk that um, arises for both sides? Yeah, you mentioned what I mentioned, the lawyers, but it's like, uh, with, for me, it's like with girls, I only need a lawyer when it's over. So this is the worst case for working with insurtech startup. It's not a good case because the other startups will get it. They, they talk to each other and then said, "Oh, I don't work with Scala. That's not good." So you have to invest early in checking the date. You, you make workshop, yeah, and then you try to figure out: Do they know what they are talking about? Because of course. We, as insurance innovators or innovation managers, we get a lot of workshops and then we, we use also insurtech startups to coach ourselves, of course. So we are also very knowledgeable about what they are doing. And then we get a sense of are they capable of doing it? Do they know what they are doing? Do they understand us? So it's like, like a marriage. And then if, if I think we have a good relationship and understanding, mutual of an understanding, then we go to the next step and try some small experiments, and then we make three experiments. We may pay him for it, so they get some money. But uh, the, the, please don't go into production operator systems at once with an unproven startup, like a hippo, uh, because at the end they will blame Colin did it. With no good. Okay, so one mitigating measure would be POX, very yeah. small proof of concept. Yeah, I think that's the big uh, point about it. I think uh, due diligence is, is one thing, uh, getting to know each other and especially um, being on the same page about where you want to go uh, together. And this is more about values than just about technology. But I think on the other hand, uh, the emphasizing the due diligence part uh, is really the old word thinking. Um, and it's uh, about failing fast, about um, bringing this to the market, see can we work together, 
is our product relevant to the client, whether it be an internal client for um, a process optimization or uh, the outside client, does the, uh, does the product fly? Um, and then move it from there, and then you see if we can work together and if actually our working together brings about something that's valuable to the, to the customer in the end. A little, little other perspective from the startup perspective. Yeah, sure. I think for me um, uh, that the insurance community takes me seriously when we do the proof of concept. I'm all for that, uh, but I need money for that because otherwise I can't live, basically, because that's my income. Sure. That's an important thing. But also, I have to um, decide very early on in my business development of a startup what do I want to be? Do I want to be an enabler for insurance companies that I don't fight against them, or do I want to disrupt them? And this, is, this builds trust or mistrust from the beginning. And if I set up the contracts, all of what I do, that they see, okay, these guys just want to grab information and build their own insurance, then we have a problem. And then the problem is trust. And all I can do also give you trust in the way to be very open about how my company is set up, who are my investors, who are the people behind me, what's my team. I think all that I can provide, and then I, we can work together and create the trust to actually do the I would like to emphasize one thing you said. I agree absolutely, but and you said we have to pay you for your efforts. That means that as an insurance innovator and a big company, I need budget. I need money. And so, Balois, we have some. So the, the executives trust me and the team, and then we can decide on our own up to a certain kind of uh, level of um, payments, and then we can. We don't have to ask every time. It takes too long because these guys are very fast and we have to speed up and then we as an insurance company can only speed up if I, if I have a dedicated team with dedicated resources with some money on the side that I can say, hey, we want 15K, okay, let's do it. Let's do a small part for 15K. After that, the bills get bigger, of course, because it gets more complex. But on the other side, I, I get more value. And for me, in, in, my, in our three steps I showed you, I need this validated data because no executive can discuss on the hard facts I produced with my POC and then Absolutely. it's difficult to, if they don't like what I'm doing or the team is doing, then it's difficult to say no because sure. we can prove they get a lot of money for you. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, and then we get more money because they trust. Money can convince. That's surely true. Actually, if you allow, because um, I would like to ask a quick question to to Lucas. Um, you were just touching on on risk. Um, as you're a startup working uh, in a very sensitive area, um, sometimes with life data, patient data, exactly. health industry. Um, how do you deal with um, new potential partners uh, that say, well, the first appointment you're going to have is with our lawyer department and we'll have 25 people and they send you 200 pages of contract before they get um, to talking to you. How do you deal with that? Um, we work through it. <laughs> That's a simple answer, no. Um, when, I, when I go to our potential clients, um, I'm very clear about what we do with the data, what happens with the data, and um, since we are working with live patient data, basically, we tell the, the insurance companies, okay, your data stays with you, we're working on-premise. If I use the word cloud and health insurance in the same sentence, I'm out the window. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yes, so. <laughs> that, that's, that's a hurdle. Uh, so we didn't work together, but it's, it's true what you say, because at our company, we got a cloud board, for example, so uh, I introduced a watch insurance, it was a cool project, I had a lot of fun, and after we introduced the, the watch insurance, you can make a picture of the watch and then it's insured with three clicks. Then the executive said, hey guys, do you have a, a, are you allowed to use the Amazon Web Service Cloud? 
Yeah, why not? Do you have the agreement from the cloud board? It's an executive board. What's the cloud board? Uh oh. So, <laughs> and then yeah. on the next uh, project, it was bike insurance. I, I uh, made the way through the cloud board and that whatever. Nice guys. Of course, that's a job. They protect the company. That's the job. That's okay. And then the German guy said, "Okay, I got it. I like your idea. Idea. We we had a we we, we say yes." Okay, then I go, can go ahead. No, I take it for you to the Swiss cloud board. So, oh, there's another cloud board, yes. <laughs> How long would it take? So that's was my last question <laughs> of the day. So that's really, as you said, so like, like your company is doing it on-premise inside of the house of the insurance company. So the data from our customers don't leave our borders or fences. There's long ways to go. Makes it easy for me. Makes it easy for me. This is, good. This, is, this is what we are trying, especially in these sensitive areas, that we take all the hurdles for the guys who actually pitch my idea then inside the company to make it easy. Okay, how's the, how are these guys funded? And then I go like, okay, State of Hessen is one of, uh, is, trustworthy. is trustworthy, it's not, not some Chinese investment company, so something like that, um, yeah. for example. So the, yeah, great trust and clear processes, how we do stuff, and transparency. And transparency. That's the only way I have a chance, because we are a company of eight, nine people at the moment, obviously, this is, it's not huge when I go to, I don't know, Allianz, it's like... We have 80 lawyers, specialized in startups. They're gonna eat me alive if I do anything. No, we have, also we have created contracts uh, that basically go through all that stuff, I can show to them, and then they can evaluate that, and maybe we change a little bit, but uh, I can't really translate that, but wer schreibt, der bleibt, <laughs> who writes the contracts, they're gonna it's stay in place, and yeah. So. Okay. But we've now been talking all, all the time about a friendly cooperation between the insurtech and the insurance. Um, as a mentor, have you also been in contact with these disruptors, for example, like a contract management, so where you put all your contracts into one app, and the app does the brokering work for you, and this is... I love it. I love them. <laughs> because it's easy for the customer, yes. Yeah, it's easy for the customer, but yeah. I think the insurances don't like them, and there won't be that level of cooperation between the two of them. So, I think this is a very interesting view. Because I think there are two two truths inside, or two two kind of views. The first view is it's good for the customer because he has an app. Maybe here in Frankfurt we have Clark, right? And they have an app where you have all your contracts inside the app. This is very good for the customer. So, first view from me as an insurance company is it doesn't bother me because I'm selling insurance contracts, formerly paper based, maybe now electronically. So I produce insurance products. I don't produce app and customer experience, I don't do it. So on the short view, I would say it's not, nothing of interest. They have a broker, they sell insurance for me, increases my top line, it's good for me. On the, on the longer side of view, of course, it's, uh, so we know it's a kind of a risk inside there because the customer will only uh, work with, with Clark, with a digital broker, because it's a very good customer experience. Because to be honest, Clark wouldn't be existing if we would have a very great customer experience. So, and we don't have. So this is a risk because the customer will stick to Clark, and maybe if Clark uh, gets mad on us, they will just switch over to another insurance code. Right. And so this is a risk. And the insurance gets less visible. It's like PSD2 in the banking. It's, it's really, the insurance is getting less important. because It's just a product provider. Right. It's a, so it's not, it's not like a car, you have BMW, Porsche, you have emotions on it. Right. And insurance you typically don't, 
and then you can switch to just providers. So, I think with that, the issue has always been uh, like that in the insurance industry because uh, the insurers typically do not own um, the uh, touch point to the client. Um, if you have uh, a broker in between, now it's a digital broker. Um, I think it's about, it's, it's the same thing. Um, to me, the question here is uh, what about the real digital insurers, uh, the ones that also applied for uh, a license, whether it be with uh, Bafin or some that um, incorporated in, in Luxembourg or Liechtenstein. Uh, we actually only have a handful of, of that. I uh, did an um, interview with Kathleen Kuhn, she's um, uh, head of the Intratech uh, task force uh, at Bafin and also at IOPA. And what she said is that, um, interestingly enough, most of the new disruptors that came out there are not often regulated. Uh, they're regulated by the Chambers of Commerce because they're brokers. Right. And uh, so I think the number of, of new entrants is, has been relatively uh, small so far. Mm. But so we need to see how, how they will perform going forward. Is, is one or uh, Lemonade only brokers as well? They're real insurance companies, right? They're real insurance companies. I think insurance companies should own the touch point to the customer. This is uh, something they maybe overlook uh, because that's where the money comes from. And when you lose that, and today it's it's never been easier to create your own insurance companies when you do all this stuff, like Automobile, for example. You, you two are very right. I think from today's point of view, it's always easy afterward, but from today's point of view, it was a strategic mistake to outsource sales in the insurance Especially in Germany, it was heavily outsourced, and uh, from my knowledge, it's only Dibica that have their own sales force. All other 300 insurance companies have outsourced their sales force to other companies, or at least the tight agents are self-employed, so they don't have to do what I say. They, they can sell whatever they want, and I have no no control over them. That is, uh, so in, I, at, at the end, I don't own, I don't have control over the touch points of the customer. That's, and after 50, 60 years of doing this outsourcing practice, I, I don't, I'm, I have a lot of ideas, but I don't know how you can, you can reverse it, besides buying one. Yeah, but I have a couple of ideas for that, so we can talk about <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, we have two more minutes left, um, and now comes this, this typical analyst ending of a panel. I give you... Two sentences for each of you, one for the insure tech companies and one for the insurances. What would you recommend for them? Really, what's just one sentence? Otherwise, we steal him this time. So, recommendations for the insurer. So, for, if I would be a starter, I would heavily pitch insurance companies with the three steps I showed you. <laughs> sure. Of course. And I thought, if I, I am an insurance company, I would trade my, uh, my, my uh, stuff to think more structured, maybe also in these three steps. Okay. If I, um, I am in a startup uh, and I try to go laser focused in one thing I can do really well and just pitch that idea and own that, technically. Yeah. yeah, know my shit. <laughs> right. um, if I was a big insurance company, I would structure my process to figure out what I actually need, which use cases I can apply, and a little experience from, if I have the time, uh, for, for myself. When I go to an insurance company and they have no idea about their process and stuff, I can basically go home. I had a very good experience where we went through these use cases and they go back 
at their desk and they count stuff and to see if it's actually valid. And that's what they all should do. Go back with a concrete idea, try it out, and then come back. Focus, focus, focus. Yeah, I think as an insured tech, uh, be crystal clear on what, what the value is that you bring. Um, make sure that you um, bring in someone who understands insurance if um, that's not your home turf and make it easy for um, uh, the uh, insurance company to, to like you and to actually work with you. Um, and I think for uh, the incumbents, it's really about uh, making sure that it's the right people that take care um, uh, of innovation that also have the cloud with the team uh, inside the company to um, bring these changes about and, and, and move stuff. Um, and then be willing to, to uh, fail fast. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you to the panel. I think that was a great discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you.